The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann, dedicated to teachers. Brett from Heinemann. Today on the Heinemann Podcast, how do you define play and choice time in early childhood classrooms? According to Renee Dinnerstein, play is an engine that drives learning. She writes, during choice time, children choose to play in a variety of centers that have been carefully designed and equipped to scaffold children's natural instinct for play. In her book, Choice Time, Renee gives us everything we need to set up choice time centers that promote inquiry-based, guided play in a classroom. Renee also summarizes the research, describing the different kinds of play, and why they're important. She says, by giving your students choice time and allowing them to engage in joyful, important, playful, age-appropriate work will empower them to become lifelong learners. We started our conversation on the different kinds of play. Well, um, when I think about choice time, first I think about children and play. All right. And um, when children play, there are basically two different kinds of play. One play is free play, and the other play is guided play. All right. Free play is when children are out in the schoolyard and they're running around and someone picks up a, um, a stick and the stick becomes a sword or it becomes a magic wand or, you know, they have their own agenda Nobody else is involved with that agenda other than the children. That's their agenda. Guided play is when the teacher sets up different centers for play and investigation, right? Um, so the teacher decides what the room is going to look like, what the center is going to look like, how much space uh, she's, she or he is going to allot for the center, um, what materials will go in the center, and then what happens in that center is up to the children, all right? So the children are not guided in what they do. It's totally up to them. But the teacher has a very important role in setting up, setting up a, a, a play environment, an investigation environment, an exploration environment for the children. Why are choice time and play so important? Play is what drives children's learning. You know, um, first of all, it's joyful, all right? And we want children to have joy in their life. It's, that's really important. It's important to me as a teacher. Lev Vygotsky, the, um, the Russian uh, psychologist, I'm going to read something that he said. In play, the child is always behaving beyond his age, above his usual everyday behavior. In play, he is, as it were, a head above himself. Children grow in play. They do things that that um, that extend their learning, you know, um, and um, it's the it's sort of it's a it's an engine for 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 driving the learning that children have. And in choice time play, the children are able to actually incorporate all the other things that they've done all day, all through the week, and bring it with them into these centers that they have. And what's really interesting is that when children are playing, they get to practice what they think it's like to be an adult. And it's sometimes for an adult, it's funny to watch it because it's sort of like taking it and 
twisting it a bit. It's the way that they think. For example, in my book, I talked about how children were playing doctor and mother came with a very sick baby and and Jeffrey, the doctor, um, took out his, he said, don't worry, don't worry. And he took out his uh, um, injection his needle and he jabbed the baby doll. And he said, oh, the mother said my baby died. And, and Jeff, Jeffrey said, don't worry. And he jabbed the baby with the needle and he said, she's okay now. And the mother took out her pocketbook, gave him a wad of bills, and teetered away in her high heels. That's the way they saw life, all right? And they were kind of acting it out. Uh, so it's, it's important, very important for children to be able to do that and for teachers to honor that, to say this is important. We must honor this. On that, how can teachers connect choice time centers to classroom studies and the curriculum? I think it's, it's so easy to make connections to the curriculum during choice time. And probably as you go up in the grades, it happens even more so. For example, I have something in the book. Can I read, okay, can I read the book? Yes. I find it. So this is a first grade. This was a first grade class in Manhattan in the Lower East Side. And they were doing a subway study. All right. And they were going on many trips and, you know, interviewing people and learning all about it. So during choice time, these were some of the things that the teacher that was set up. All right. Comparing subway maps from different cities and creating a subway map with a key for stations and routes for children's own imaginary city. They claim they created an imaginary city. Polling classmates about subway ridership, creating a graph. Um, and sharing the information, designing subway car models, using photographs and sketches, using subway sounds. This was in one class where they did this. Subway sounds to create a musical, all right? And they, they recorded it. They made their own subway music. Um, writing and illustrating poems, because there is something on the New York City subway called Poetry in Motion. And so they were making poems that would go to go into the subway. Um, painting a subway mural, constructing subway cars out of blocks, um, using an interactive whiteboard to do research subway routes and planning out trips that they were going to take. Um, make, they, they made a subway station in the classroom for the dramatic play. They created a turnstile uh, after going to the subway and, and doing sketches of it and seeing how it worked. So a lot of different, this is just one example of how it is, but um, a class doing a neighborhood study. Um, there are so many things they could do in terms of recreating the neighborhood, um, opening up a store in the dramatic play area, um, going to a store and buying things and cooking it in class. So it, it, there are a tremendous amount of connections, you know, and always, always ways for children to record things that they're doing. Well, I think I think you just sort of spoke to this with this with the subway example, but how how do you see schools implementing choice time in their classrooms? Now, is the question how do I see it or how do I want to see it? Um, so there's two different things there, but um, in the best case scenario, in the very best case scenario, um, for kindergarten, for example, choice time is scheduled during every day because it is so important. And it's scheduled during a prime time during the day. All right. So, I mean, I used to do a first period, but not any. I think that 
you know, after maybe reading or something, but not at the end of the day. Because when it's at the end of the day, these five and six and seven-year-olds have been doing reading and writing and math and phonics, and they don't want to be thoughtful about what their play is. They just want to just kind of hang out and do it. Um, so I, in the best-case scenario, the scheduling is very important, all right? So also, I think that just as with the reading workshop and the writing workshop, um, the teacher has to really be planful about um, what what is happening. The same thing for choice time. You know, um, observe the children. Write down what the children are doing. Reflect on what you've written. Think about, based on what I've reflected, what are my next steps? What am I going to do? Have conversations with children about that. Um, when choice time is really super working super well, all right, um, when choice time is working really super well, then then children start coming up with their own ideas for centers that are important for the classroom. All right. For example, in a kindergarten class that I've been working in this year, for some reason, I don't know why, but some of the children, they wanted to open up a shoe store. And they wanted to make their own shoes. And so the teacher asked them to explain what they needed and what they were going to do. They were very clear about what they wanted to do. She set out the materials. They traced their feet. They, they measured each other's foot. They made, basically made shoes. They made thongs, you know. And then they said it needed to be in plastic bags like in the store. And so they put it in Ziploc bags and hung it up and opened a shoe store in the dramatic play area. That's so cool. So this, this was a child-driven, children-driven, you know. Sometimes it's more the teacher driving it or, or collaboration between the children and the teachers. But this case, it was like totally child-driven. Talk about the importance of trust in the classroom and choice time. I think that trust is, um, is the essence of choice time. Because as I have said before, um, the teacher sets up the centers. The teacher puts out material. The teacher... Um, arranges the room so that so that children can work independently, and then the teacher trusts the children to know what to do with those materials. And sometimes it may not be what the teacher is thinking, and sometimes it may think, "Oh my goodness, why, what are they doing there?" You could always sit down with with a group of children at the end at meeting and talk about, tell us some more about what was happening there. But this this element of trust is is crucial. Children need to know that they need to have agency and need to know that the teacher respects that agency um, and trusts them to, um, to know what to do, to know how to play, to know how to explore. Building off of that, maybe a teacher who has just read the book or is in the middle of reading the book now, right. and they've not, they've not done that before. They've not experienced that opportunity of trust. How would you advise? advise that teacher? I think one of the things that I tried to do in the book was for uh, the different centers, the basic centers, to be very explicit about not just what to put out and how to set it up, but how to, how to introduce it. That is so important, how to introduce the center uh, and how to introduce it slowly. You know, and then after you introduce it, to to um, go back again um, and to then 
round, go around in a circle back again at a meeting to what was talked about at the mini lesson before the children went out there. Um, and I think that maybe for a new teacher to uh, not have too many centers, it's, it, you know, there's nothing wrong actually with having doubles of the same center. You know, um, that's okay. You know, so some children are going to um, the art table here and some children are going to it there. Um, but, um, but I think that it's just really uh, take it slowly. Take it really slowly. And don't expect, you see, there is something that a lot of teachers do, which are literacy centers, and which are value, valuable in their own right. But literacy centers all have a task. And teachers are used to that. You know, they're used to knowing that children are going to come out of a session with those literacy centers and know and come out with a product or a, a, a solution or something like that. Um, don't expect that. Be, be, get comfortable with understanding that that's not what this is all about. My thanks to Renee Dinnerstein for her time today. If you'd like to learn more about the book and even read a sample chapter, check out the Heinemann website at Heinemann.com where you can find more. Plus, we also have some blogs on the book on the Heinemann blog at Heinemann.com slash blog. And also be sure to check out the Heinemann Teacher Tip app and follow us on Twitter and join us on our Facebook page where we have lots more going on every single day. Thanks for listening to the Heinemann Podcast. Podcast.